From the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Happy New Year, or whatever. And uh, let's go and talk about streaming video. If you have family and friends who want to watch the show, or you want them to watch the show somewhere in this world, give them a call. Tell them to go to www.bornagainmormon.com. They can go to the TV shows, click on it. It says live streaming video, click on that and it will be self-explanatory. Go from there. In the house tonight, we have Janet, Eileen, Dan, Robert, Betty and Jim, Derek, Ashley, Travis, Jed, Nancy, Dave, Sharon, Shelly, Jerry, Diane, Lane, Sierra, and Kaylee, not Callie. Very important that's pronounced right. So it's a great audience, and a, what a way to start off this uh, 2008. This year of 2008, we are going to forego the shout-outs from this point forward. If this offends you, I apologize. It's become unmanageable. I'm skipping people I should include and mentioning people I shouldn't. And uh, so we're just going to kind of cut that out altogether, except for this final one. Shout-out to Mallory Cassidy and Delaney McCraney. And two, Robin and Sean, Tanisha and Tierra, Marnie and Trent, and Jeannie Martin. Those are the final shout-outs, unless we reestablish those in 2009. God bless you all. I was a born-again Mormon. This is the book that started it all. You can buy it at Sam Weller's Utah Lighthouse Ministry, right across from the ball field here in Salt Lake. Christian Gift and Bible in Sandy. Calvary Chapel of Salt Lake City's bookstore, Christ Evangelicals bookstore in Orem, Gift of Grace bookstore in Springville, Oasis Books in Logan. You can also go to www.bornagainmormon.com and get a book there. And if you can't afford one or refuse to pay for one but want to read it, email us and we'll send you a book out for free. Listen, I want to say something about Utah Lighthouse Ministry. Uh, this is a place online to check your facts about church history and it's a place to learn the truth about Mormonism. Uh, the LDS Church today is working very hard at redirecting the media and internet traffic and inquiring minds to their own website so that the, they can tell the world what they want the world to believe. Well, you might see, say that's a natural thing to do. After all, it's their church and they should have the right for people to come to them first to hear what the truth is according to them. The LDS Church says when you want to buy, know about a Ford, you go to the Ford dealership. You don't go to a Chevy dealer. Um, I know there are people 
and places that we can go directly to to get information about them or their institution. If an institution is known to be upfront historically and true and honest about what they're about, then we would go to them. But the LDS Church has not passed this litmus test of being forthright with their history or their beliefs. We all agree that there are organizations that should have uh, should be policed or investigated and ask the hard questions. Um, should we trust the mafia? Or should we just believe everything they say? I'm not making a direct parallel to the two, but there are organizations that have not historically been known to be upfront about what they are about. Um, even most governments, you have to have watchdog groups that go in and ask the tough questions. Many multinational corporations, even small corporations, need to have outside groups that question what they say and do. And so this is why there are investigative reporters and groups out there that do this. Now, maybe the LDS Church is doing better. They're trying to say they're doing better and being upfront about their history, but I don't think they are. Uh, they used to be openly proud of their doctrines of becoming gods and of Jesus and Satan being spiritual brothers and of polygamy and of blood atonement. In Brigham Young's day, you couldn't walk through these streets without having them just throw it down your throat of what they believed and they stood for it all the way up through the late 50s and 60s before they became a very clerical organization. And, and it was then that they shifted into this um, Orwellian doublespeak kind of stuff where you really can't get a hold of what the truth is anymore. And so I challenge you to go to www.utlm.org. Now, I push that site for a couple reasons. One, they're very good on their facts. And you, when you read the stuff there, it's always cross-referenced. And they'll let you know if they're making their own opinion or whatever. They're, they're fair in that way. But they give you the facts. We like our own site. We'd love you to go there. But that's for community to hear what's going on, to watch the shows, stuff like that. But if you want to read and check on my facts, you can go to uh, www.utlm.org. Next week, we're going to hold our January traveling pastor right here in Salt Lake City. Monday night, January 7th, at the downtown Salt Lake City on 5th South and 250 West from 6 to 8 p.m. We fellowship, we meet, eat, and greet, and then we're going to go to an undisclosed location, and we're going to perform open baptisms for people who want to make a public commitment, non-denominational, no association, public commitment, to dedicating their lives to Jesus Christ. So if you want to come down to Denny's and you want to be baptized, bring a pair of shorts and a towel or whatever you want to be baptized in. And uh, at that Denny's, we will tell you where we're going to go. And uh, it will be close uh, to do those baptisms. Also in February, Idaho, uh, Boise, Idaho, be ready because we're coming out to do the traveling pastors in Idaho in February. That's going to be on February 3rd and 4th in the greater Boise area. So go to www.bornagainmormon.com if you live in Boise, Idaho, and you want to participate in the same thing that we're going to do this coming Monday night uh, on the 7th. Regarding the Mitt Romney campaign trail, Jill H. sent this article in, which was really interesting. It was written by Glenn Greenwald, who was previously a constitutional law and civil rights litigator in New York City. He's the author of a New York Times bestselling book, and he has critiqued uh, several organizations for their um, tyrannical power views. And Mitt Romney, uh, this is article is called Mitt Romney's Pursuit of Tyrannical Power Literally. 
And what happened was um, Charlie Savage of the Boston Globe submitted to the leading presidential candidates a questionnaire uh, on their 12 key, uh, 12 key questions regarding executive power. All right. And, and this uh, person, Greenwald, who wrote the article, he went and he read uh, what their responses were. And he says, speaking of Romney, the power he claims the president possesses are definitely, literally tyrannical, unrecognizable in the pre-2001 American system of government, and in some meaningful ways, even beyond what the Bush-Cheney cadre of authoritarian legal theorists have claimed. He writes, each of the questions posed by Savage is devoted to determining the extent of presidential power the candidate believes exists and where the limits are situated. On every issue, Romney either explicitly says that a president has the right to act without limits of any kind or provides blatantly non-responsive answers, strongly insinuating the same thing. He goes on in that article, if you do a Google search on the author's name, you can read it yourself. It's too long for me to read. Uh, but in, in essence, he concludes Romney is envisioning uh, from those of the British king possessed to the mid to the late 18th century. Uh, Green, uh, just do a, a research on Glenn Greenwald uh, and you'll find that article. Very interesting and it backs up what we've talked about. In the similar note, thanks to internet investigator John M. who sends me great stuff. There's an interesting article in the Salt Lake Tribune, and what it does is the article was uh, printed in March, no, excuse me, 12.30.07, just less than a week ago, and it is titled, Levitt Looked to Faith for Philosophy of Government, and it says that archives show that former Utah governor and current cabinet secretary Mike Levitt sought to infuse the lessons of his religion into his inaugural address and into state policy, conducting a series of early morning seminary classes in which he and top advisors discussed how to incorporate just and holy Mormon principles into his governess. The article is very long. It's on in the Salt Lake Tribune, 12.30.07, and it goes on to say that governor, Utah past Utah governor in 1996, Mike Levitt, would hold early morning meetings with members of his cabinet and, and some of his friends. And it says they, would, they were held over several days and they would talk about the extent to which the faith can influence political philosophy and the degree to which Levitt incorporated his Mormon faith into his administration. You think that we were wrong in saying you can't trust them because they will turn to Mormonism to guide the country. You put Romney in the office, you think a governor is going to do it. Wait till you see what he will do with that kind of power and how the Mormon church will benefit. It says here, on several mornings in late 1996, the group delved into Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants, exploring the lessons from Mormon scripture and how to, they apply to modern government. Levitt told the Tribune he has not held comparable gatherings in his current role as HHS Secretary or previously as Administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency. In the transcripts, Levitt said he felt an obligation, obligation looking ahead to an easy 1996 re-election win to use the blessing, quote, of his popularity to convey a message strong on values. Read the article, it'll blow you away at the themes of the Book of Mormon and the themes in the Doctrine and Covenants that Governor Mike Levitt of this state used to help form and tried to implement in this state and how it is governed. It's just, it, all it is is a foreshadowing. I don't think Romney's going to get in office. I, don't, I hope a Mormon, until the LDS leaders change their doctrines and change what they publicly tell people and just come out open with everything, I don't think a Mormon should ever 
hold office. Okay, uh, one other thing last week, a good friend of mine, he wrote a fantastic um, critique of Bob Millett's book, A Different Jesus, question mark. And it's going to be available at www.bornagainmormon.com soon. Keep checking the website. It's an article by uh, my good friend Perry Wynn. And he goes through and he just shows you exactly the double speak of Mr. Bob Millett. Bottom line, his conclusion is a different Jesus. Yes. Uh, Last week, finally, we had a bit of an emergency on the show. This is Michael. And some of you remember that we opened up. And we heard somebody who was in distress, and Michael is an epileptic. And he went into a full-blown grandma epileptic seizure right here. He's a camera operator, faithful camera operator for TV20. And I just wanted you to see living proof of your prayers and uh, everything that was offered up on his behalf. We love Michael and grateful that he's back. And he loves being in front of the camera, too. Can you tell? So uh, thanks, Michael. We love you. All right, with all that, let's have a word of prayer and get into tonight's first 2008 topic. Dear Lord God, we love you and we need you. In all that we do, we pray that you'll be with our operators, be with uh, everybody who's here volunteering, our audience members. Uh, Reach in and touch people, Lord, and help the people who are watching tonight in their homes or people who are channel surfing and let us reach out with the message of Jesus. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm going to ask you to imagine something scary for a minute, but imagine for a minute that you're Satan, the dark side, who for 24-7 seeks to destroy the creations of God and put them into eternal misery. Over time, you're going to come up as Satan with some strategies. When Adam and Eve were uh, kicked out of the Garden of Eden, Satan approached their firstborn son, Cain, with a strategy, and it was fairly blunt, no panache, no, uh, no real strategy, I guess, wasn't very creative. He just hit him with the old anger, jealousy, hateful rage strategy, and Cain killed his brother. With time and experience, the most cunning of all devious crafters developed a plethora of new approaches to manipulate and ultimately capture the hearts of men and women. Idolatry started off as worshiping little staple wood-cut things and, and has now become all, uh, worshiping of all kinds of strange gods living and breathing and dead and, and inert. Lust, pretty natural stuff, but it's gotten to the point in our day and age where we lust after all kinds of horrible things. And then with the so-called progress of civilization came some of darkness's best works, his counterfeits. Subtly crafted methods which bear the appearance of truth and light but are nothing but a hollow outward representation of the real thing. The strategy, this strategy makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you were the most wily, cunning, truth twister in the universe, wouldn't it make sense that in the face of a so-called advancing civilization, you would try and produce something that most closely resembles God's plan but in reality is a complete affront to it. Wouldn't you try to strive to develop a system of beliefs that appear holy and good and right, which are in fact antithetical to God's overall idea? It would be ingenious, and this is exactly what the dark side has done. In the manual that exposes spiritual counterfeits and counterfeiting, the Bible, there are two terms that describe knowing. Speaking of salvation, in John 17, 3, Jesus said, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, 
whom thou hast sent. The word know here, that you might know thee, the only true and living God, in the Greek is gnosko. And it refers to knowing in the salvation experience. Salvation is not merely a mental um, activity and it's not limited to an emotional experience. It's a knowing experience. It's coming to gnosko, Jesus. It's coming to know him. And that's what that verse says. Now, we've talked before about knowing on this show, and I've said that it can only be attributed to knowing with a capital T what truth is. Jesus being truth with a capital T. We can know Jesus. We can't know something that is not true. We're only believing in that thing. We can't know it. And we can therefore know Jesus because he is the ultimate truth with a capital T. But there is another word that is used in the Greek, and it describes the freedom, liberty, and the absolute indescribable deep relationship believers can have with God. And that word is epinosis, all right? It is knowledge above and beyond knowing that comes from the salvation experience. Epinosis describes a deep-rooted and acquired understanding of God. It is not a description of salvation. The epinosis comes through and by the study and hearing of his word. All right. Writing to people who have already been saved, Peter and Paul both talked about epinosis. They said in Ephesians 1, 16, 18, Paul said, cease not to give thanks. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the epinosis of him. That's the superior, deep-rooted knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know the epinosis again, what is the glory of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Peter said in 2 Peter 1-2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the epinosis of God and of Jesus our Lord. He said, peace and grace be multiplied times, times, time unto you through the epinosis of God. Okay? Remember the apostles were speaking here to the people who were saved already. It has nothing to do with that type of uh, gnosis. It's the epinosis. And it is a relationship that brings liberty that people who are lesser instructed in the Bible understand yet. Babes in Christ do not readily understand the epinosis. It takes time in reading the word. Okay? Remember that phrase, which lesser instructed believers in the word have come to possess. All right. This peace and joy, it manifests itself overall in one word, and it's freedom. Okay? I'm giving you a lot, but it'll all make sense in a second. Jesus' words, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That freedom is what the culmination of a lifelong time of study in this word brings to people who study it. Freedom in Christ. You see, the doctrines taught by Jesus and those printed in the Word all point to liberty and freedom for the believers in Christ to have salvation and then gain more and more liberty and freedom through their epinosis of God. And, that's, and that liberty and freedom brings peace and it brings joy and relaxation and a desire to follow Him even more. 
all right? This peace is not, and this liberty is not found in the world. It's not found in religion. It's not found in Joseph. It's not found in Gordon. It's not found in your favorite pastor. It's not found in Sean McCraney and Tuesday nights. It is found only in God and Jesus Christ, and it's the epinosis. That's where this freedom comes from. The manual teaches it. So believers study this manual. They experience more and more freedom and peace as a result of this epinosis. And once they understand the manual, and here's the tie into our discussion tonight, they can spot a counterfeit of this gift of epinosis a mile down the road. Why do you suppose that informed Christians the world over, the Bible scholars, the Jesus-loving, peace-filled Bible readers have always considered Mormonism a cult? Why do you suppose that has been? Mormons will comically tell you and say amongst themselves that they do this because they're jealous of the LDS rapid growth and success in public image. Manual readers of the Bible know true Christianity will never possess worldwide success. Jesus told us what we're going to see with regard to the acceptance of his message. Straight as the gate narrows the way, remember? The reason the manual readers have always resisted Mormonism is because they've been freed by the epinosis and they can see a counterfeit a light year away. It is so simple to see it. The loss of peace comes with these counterfeits. And that's, that's the core issue that tips somebody off who knows the manual and studies the word. It's the loss of Christ in their, that they see in these other programs. And they can see he's being diminished here and they can see it as a counterfeit. Listen to the freedom and liberty the scriptures describe of people who have the epinosis. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Galatians 5.13 For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but love and serve one another. In a prophetic utterance about Jesus, the prophet Isaiah said in 61.1 the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to pro proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prism to them that are bound. Knowledge of God, the epinosis, produces both release and a total reliance in the life of a believer. Release from the bondage of sin and institutional rules from sectarianism and cults and philosophies and total reliance on Jesus and Jesus alone. The more studied you are in the word of God and all the revelatory declarations he gives us from his mouth to our heart, the freedom we possess gives us a better ability to see these counterfeit systems clearly. Now, counterfeiting is truly a bane on our society. It's a pathetic ugly, lecherous invader. This past March, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce did a study and they tracked three product groups that originated out of Brazil. They looked at clothing, sports footwear, and toys. Their study revealed that counterfeiting of these products alone deprived Brazil of $9.3 billion of tax revenues in 2006 alone. 
Think about your own work in business. How would you feel if you labored endlessly to create a liberating new product? Maybe it's a drug that will cure a disease or a new dress or a piece of art or some business plan or software and some counterfeiter knocks it off, mass produces it and sells it to the yearning public in an inferior state. Imagine that you deal in historical documents and some fraud sells you a counterfeit. Now imagine how God is going to feel and how he feels and what he thinks of people who have pirated and counterfeited his system and are pushing it out to the masses as a real McCoy. And their system does the opposite of his. These counterfeit systems trap and they ensnare and they put people into bondage. They are the opposite of the liberty that the epinosis gives a true believer who reads and studies the word. When it comes to unadulterated, the unadulterated message of Christianity, the general rule of thumb regarding counterfeits is this. The liberals tend to diminish the message, the true message of Jesus Christ, and the cults tend to add to it. The liberals diminish from the message of Jesus Christ in their counterfeit system, and the cults add to it. Liberals tend to say, oh, Jesus, he was a good man. He was probably a prophet of some sort. I love Jesus. He was really a good guy. But, you know, all roads lead to, to heaven. And, you know, he gave his message for certain people. And so did this person. And the Bible, it has some good advice. In fact, my mystic uh, toenail filer yesterday, Star, told me that, my goodness, she saw something in her pudding that made her think of God, and, and it was just perfect for my salvation. So Jesus was good. That's what the liberals tend to do, is they take Jesus and they detract from him completely. Now, the cults, they have the opposite way. And I use this term cult because we're talking about it in this sense generally. I usually don't use it in that sense, but... The Bible message of Jesus is never enough to any group that is considered a cult. Never. What do the Jehovah's Witnesses say of Jesus? The Bible message is not enough. What do Scientologists, what do Christian scientists say of Jesus? What do Mormon's doctrine, Mormon doctrines say of Jesus and his message in the Bible? It's never, ever, ever enough. They always add when they're trying to get you to embrace their counterfeit system. Last Sunday in a ward in Southern California that will go unnamed, a member of the bishopric went into and stood before the primary children and he said, do you know what the greatest gift in the world is? And the kids all raised their hand and said different things and, and this bishopric member said, the greatest gift in the world is salvation. And the person who reported this thought, wow, this sounds good. And he said, do you know how you get salvation? And they, all the kids, how, how? And he said, by doing good things. That's a counterfeit. That takes people and it traps them and it puts them in bondage. And it takes and it removes the true message here in the manual of what God gave to us. There's always more. But Mormonism is unique because they're not satisfied with producing just their own counterfeit system. They have gone into the manual and they have decided to reteach and rewrite and retell us what the manual says. So this year, instead of continuing on with church history as I intended to do, I feel very inclined that we are going to take the main biblical verses the LDS Church has used and teaches to their membership and the world at large, and we're going to take them one by one, and we're going to talk about how they have twisted these verses, and I'm going to give you, hopefully, 
to the best of my knowledge and research, the true meaning of all the verses as they apply. We're going to talk about the ontology of God, the war in heaven, the pre-existence, creatio ex nihilo, the two scrolls of Ezekiel, Satan, the virgin birth, atonement in the garden, the cross, apostasy, the Bible as the world of God, apostolic succession, prophets, revelation, temples, Jerusalem, Joseph Smith in the Bible, polygamy, blood atonement, baptism, the laying on of hands, the gift of the Holy Ghost, priesthood authority, other books of scripture, the church, the body of Christ. Do we worship Jesus? Grace, faith, works, Jesus is God, and on and on and on. I received an email from a man who says, whose name is Michael McVeigh, and he's an ardent hater of our ministry, and he writes all the time, usually very vitriolic things, and this says, I would hope that you would share this with your TV audience. This came out of the blue. Although you don't believe in the pre-mortal existence, there is biblical evidence of this. Consider the following, and he gave me two passages. Jeremiah 1.5, a favorite of the LDS. God says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto nations. The LDS will use this one single standing biblical verse, and they will build an entire theology on a pre-existence. Then he uses another from the New Testament, one of the only others, and it's where John 1, 1, 2, and Jesus passed by. He saw a man which was blind from his birth. By the way, this is an incorrect reference. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This is a perfect example of a man who, I'm sure he has good intentions, actually believes these two verses prove that the Bible teaches a pre-existence. He has not considered anything else relative to those verses that the Bible supports in showing that it's not about a pre-existence whatsoever. We're going to take those kind of emails and those kind of things. Now listen, before we go to the calls, in fact, let's open up the phones. 801-973-TV20. 801-973-8820. If you are in the audience and you uh, have ver- that are constantly thrown at you and you don't understand them from the Bible, email them to us. We're gathering up all our all the ones that we know of, but there are some that we get surprised with sometimes. If you have a special one that missionaries now are using, send it to us and we'll incorporate that in the context of the discussion that we're going to have in the coming months. We live in a world of counterfeits. Everything has its fraud and its fakes. The Bible can be trusted to know the differences of spiritual counterfeits. The Bible points to, leads to Jesus, which leads to liberty and freedom. It does not point to and lead to Joseph. The Bible is about the Jews. It is not about Mormons. The Bible teaches the gospel of Jesus, not Mormonism. It is of and from the old world and provides us a clear understanding that men have tried to twist for their own needs, and hopefully this year we'll be able to expose that. So let's go to the phones, please. First-time callers uh, only. We really hope that you'll stick to that. If you're LDS, we'd love for you to call. We want you first. We'll move you right up to the top of the list. If you're angry LDS, we'll move you up quicker. So maybe scream at our operators. Just kidding. And uh, and let's get on it and start talking about whatever you want to talk about tonight. In the meantime, the lines are busy. If it's busy, just keep trying to call. You'll get a recording you, or whatever. Just keep calling and you can break through. A lot of people do all the time. And also, please turn your TV sets down so that we can get right into the call. We had a message left on our machine uh, that says, I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and you make me sick. I hope to meet you in heaven so I can slap your face. So um, 
I welcome, I think I heard this was maybe an older woman. So you can meet me anywhere you'd like and do it here if you'd like, because I have a feeling with that attitude, we may not be meeting in heaven, young lady. All right. Uh, we also, this is interesting. Uh, all right. I, I'm going to get to that if we have a break. Let me go to line four. We have Brad in Ogden, who's a first-time caller. Brad, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay, hey. Go ahead, my brother. Hey, uh, I just have a question. Yes. Um, I just want to see what your feelings are about tithing. Oh, that's, that's, I have another uh, email on that tonight. That's good. Well, I want to... Um, Brad, do you want to hang up and I can answer it on the air? Yeah. Okay, thanks so much for the question. Hey, thanks. Okay, bye. Just so uh, this person knows, because I wrote and told her I was going to answer this, from Cheryl E., I attended a church in the Valley that subscribes to tithing, giving a tenth, went on and on and on, told all about tithing. Bottom line, what is my opinion of it? And here's my opinion of it. I think that most Christian churches, most Christian pastors, when they speak of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old uh, Testament practices, they're very willing and ready to discount those as having been fulfilled and that we live under a, a dispensation of grace. I completely concur with that. And I think that applies to the use of the word tithing. I think it is misapplied by the Christian church. I know it's misapplied by the LDS church, but they are they at least believe they're under the law, so their use of it's better than the Christian church. But when I go to a Christian church and I hear the pastor say, you know, we want, we want you to tithe and, and, and hope you're paying your tithing, it's one of the only only Old Testament words that they reach back in and they apply it today. And it means a tenth. And, and it just seems like, why do they do that? Can't they say, you, you know, they, there's places that use like love offering and, and just generously giving of your heart or contributions or something like that. But you and we as believers in the body are not under obligation to tithe, to pay any kind of percentage. We're only under an obligation to, as 2 Corinthians 9, I believe, says, 2 Corinthians 2, 9, I think, uh, give cheerfully. Be a willing, cheerful giver. Give hilariously is the translation in the Greek. So if your heart, you're sitting in there, and God just puts it on your heart to just will, willingly and cheerfully give 90% of your income, give it. And if it says give 1%, then give it or no percent, then don't. God does not need your money. He just doesn't. And he will make things happen. Now, you know, it's tough. This, this, this industry is difficult. You have expenses, and so pastors, especially in this state, are starving sometimes. And so having said that tithing is not applicable is absolutely true, and I would correct your pastor. I would, say, I would take him aside and say, I don't agree with your use of this word. It's legalistic. However, I would then look to you and say, what is your heart toward giving and supporting your church? Because you should be, especially in this state, because uh, they need it. So both sides, but as far as the term, pass, uh, term tithing goes, I think it's a misapplication in the church today. Okay, let's go to, I'm going to get some emails from pastors on that. Uh, we're going to go to Jolene in Salt Lake City. Jolene, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, hi, Sean. Hey, I have a quick question. Yes. Um, you brought up that Bob Millet, and it's kind of curious. I saw him on YouTube a little bit saying that whenever there's a difficult question, I'd ask it with a question you should have asked instead of answer the question. Kind of give milk instead of meat. That's yeah. That's a direct statement. Yeah. 
My, my question that goes a little bit deeper, Mormons claim to have a full or complete knowledge. Why is it, and I challenge any Mormon to call and explain this, that when they advertise or they speak their religion to the world, they present it to look like traditional Judeo-Christianity. For example, an advertisement today showed the King James Version of the Bible. They believe the Bible to be incomplete. So why not put out the Book of Mormon or the Doctrine and the Covenant? Why don't they shout their own beliefs from the rooftop instead of run and hide from them? Right. And second of all, as a Judeo-Christian, why would I um, want to be a part of the counterfeit that's trying to sound like Judeo-Christianity when I already have the real thing? You wouldn't. And that's the beauty. That It sounds like, Jolene, you have a well, you're have well. you well-versed in the Word, and you can see the counterfeits for what they are. And this is, this, is, this is such a great call because this leads right into what the missionaries do. If the missionaries knock on a, uh, someone's door like yours, Jolene, they're going to go and they're going to give you their best to kind of sharpen up their debate skills. And when they see that you're not giving in, they are walking and they're not going to return to you ever. They do not care for your uh, salvation. They go next door and they get someone who says, Ah, oh, Mormons are Christian, aren't they? Well, yes, we are. They look for people who are uneducated, who do not know the word, and they seek to bring them in with the milk of the word, Jesus, repentance, baptism. And then once they've given their time, talents, and energy long enough, they start moving them up toward those higher echelons of priesthood, temple rites, and uh, world domination. That's kind of tongue-in-cheek. When you, when you see them, actually, when they're explaining their religion or anybody's asking questions, they're actually running and hiding from their true, unique beliefs, which they say is giving them full knowledge. So I'm saying, why are you running and hiding and trying to sound like Judeo-Christians? It's a great, it's a great question and a great insight. And so LDS, if you have a response to Jolene, call back and let's hear it. All right. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. God bless. Okay. Bye. You know, sometimes I get a glimpse of myself. We have a thing down here called Micah Clock and we also have a monitor. And when I look over to another camera, I catch a glimpse of myself, and I do look pretty kind of angry sometimes. <laughs> I don't know if I'd watch me. Okay, let's go to Leroy and Orem. Leroy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Leroy? Yes. You're on the air, brother. Oh, yes. Uh, boy, you're sure doing a great job. Boy, you make me happy every week. I, I haven't missed a show for about a year and a half, and um, I, there's a couple comments uh, I don't know if you know this, but I haven't heard it on your program. The reason why they practice polygamy in the beginning, supposedly in the general discourses, I'm legally blind now, so I can't read, but when I read it, he said they had to practice polygamy, so when they die, when they become a god, they have experience living with all their wives. And that was one of the reasons why they practice polygamy. Wow, that's a good one. The next one... Uh, when I read a church history, I don't know if you know this or not, but Joseph Smith, you know, they say he was really smart when my, before my brother passed away. Uh, he told me that in those days, it's all they had was the Bible or anything they can speak of uh, Josephus. And um, um, that, that the city of Nauvoo was called the city of Joseph. Did you know that? Yeah. Oh, okay. I just yeah. never... Yeah, that's it's good stuff uh, though. On the program, but yeah, uh, I I got out of the church. And, uh, why should I lie? You know, my brothers and sisters are all LDS, and they don't believe he's a prophet, seer, and revelator. Right. All my friends don't believe it. They're LDS, but where are they going to go? That's right. And so they stay in the church, 
and they're happy with it because when they go to church, they don't really get into doctrine. No. They feel the fellowship there, the brethren there, and they all got their jobs, and they, they want to belong to it, and, and they feel happy about themselves. Leroy, it's an excellent summary of exactly what it is in Mormonism and what keeps so many people in who really don't believe most of this stuff anyway. Really appreciate the call, my friend. Okay, thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Have you ever known a Leroy who didn't have a voice like that? When, I mean, he's a guy you just want to sit in a coffee shop and eat bacon and just hear the stories of cows stuck in the mud. He has a great voice. All right, listen, um, about his comment, uh, what, what did he say? He made a great comment. Maybe it will come to me in a minute. But uh, very applicable. Oh, about people who stay in the church. There are so many who don't believe the stuff we talk about. They just don't buy it at all. And they go to church and they just, like Leroy said, they love the fellowship. They have friends and family there. There's always an activity. They've got a cultural hall. I mean, it is such a great counterfeit to what people think religion is. But remember what Jesus said, that they may know him. Eternal life is knowing, gnosko, him. And so many go in and they know religion and they know a good church, but they have no idea who he is. And that's what we're trying to get you to do. And again, let me just plead to you here on the first day of the year. Spin the year and just examine your faith. Do you know him? Do you really know him? Not intellectually, not emotionally. Do you know Jesus? Does he live and dwell in you? Every Christian can say, he dwells in me. And it's a tangible difference. It's just like if you had an alien living in you. It's a bad comparison, but if you did, you would know it. This is the good alien. This is the one you want to live in you and guide you. You know him on an intimate level that way. And if you can't say that as a Latter-day Saint, you're missing the message. All right, let's go to Sam and Bountiful. First-time caller. Sam, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. What's going on? Doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Hey, uh, first of all, I just want to wish you uh, all the best in the new year. Uh, I really appreciate what, appreciate what you're doing. Thank you, Sam. Uh, yeah, uh, just a quick comment about temple ceremony. I was wondering if in front of God and these witnesses you could tell me your temple name. No, I can't. So why not, buddy? Well, now we see the... Uh, the, the are you a Christian, Sam? Absolutely. Then why would you do something as duplicitous as this? Why don't you tell me your name, Sean, if it's so counterfeit? S Sam, are you a Christian? I love Jesus Christ more than you. Wow, a very interesting Christian. I've never met one like you before. Sam, let me... It's so counterfeit, Sean. Uh, it was Joe. Yeah, it wasn't. You must be clam. I guess a parallel would be if I was Jewish and I took a yarmulke or took a, um, one of the things that you put on your doorpost, I can't, can't remember what we call them, and I just took it and I bent them up here, or I cut it up here. My audience is LDS. If you came to me and you wanted to know my secret temple name on a one-on-one -on -one basis, I'd tell you, because I have no allegiance at all to that. But that is really disturbing that if he was LDS, it's very disturbing. And if he's Christian, it's just as bad. And I don't think he was a Christian. 
I think he was this person who does these kind of things. And that's just horrible. So on one hand, I hope Latter-day Saints, you understand, if I wanted to mock everything you represent, I would go through all the temple ceremony and I would tell you my name and I would tell you my wife's and I would tell you all the things that go on. I'd act them out here. I'm not about that. I just want you to know the Lord. That is my heart. And we go about some things that are uncomfortable to you and it makes you want to slap me. But we want you to know Jesus. You want to stay in there? You make that decision. God will guide you. But just do you know him? All right, let's go to the next caller. That really ticked me off. Uh, Harley in Provo. Harley, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello there, Sean. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Harley. How are you? <laughs> just fine. Hey, first of all, congratulations for leaving the, the cult of the trustee in trust of the Corporation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thank you. You no longer have the mark of the beast. Congratulations. But oh. now, unfortunately, I hear you've joined another cult Ooh. called the Cult of Trinity. Oh, really? You now, you now have, have adopted a god invented uh, mm. by the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. Really? What did Nicaea say? They said that, that God uh, sits at the top of a topless throne. His, his center is everywhere. His circumference is nowhere. He has no body. And, and the Holy Ghost and Jesus and the Father are all one amalgamated being. And so now you've traded cults, Sean. You've traded cults, and now you belong to the cult of Trinity. What, is, what do you say to that, Sean? Me boy? I say one. This is a fantastic call. You're, you're really good. I mean, this just grabs everybody. Um, I think that what the Nicene Creed brought out was nothing but Scripture. And the top of a topless throne could just be rhetoric, but... I think God doesn't have a body. I think he's a spirit. And I would never try to limit him to a space. So I agree with that creed. I agree with the apostolic creed. I have no problem with them. I don't think there is anything in the word that is counter to that. Well, so, so you don't believe in the Bible then? Because the Bible is clear. Jesus, when he, when he went up into heaven, he, he had a body. And, he, and the angels said he will so come in like manner. He took his body into heaven. And, and if you, Sean believe that the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are the same being, then you must believe he has a body. Oh, oh, you, you, wait, 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 wait. Now wait. You just, made a, you just made an error in your description of the Trinity saying that the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are one being. You made an error in that. They are distinct. Okay? They're one God. You understand the difference? It's not a being you're saying. They are not one being. That's modalistic monotheism. Oh, but didn't Jesus have a physical body when he, when he went into heaven? He had a body. Yeah, Therefore, and he, he had to take it with him because he's going to come back with it. Right. Well, well, it's good to know you're not a Jehovah's Witness then because they believe he dematerialized his body and then he'll rematerialize it when he comes back again. Back well, again that goes on with, with what cults, I'm sorry Jehovah's Witnesses, what cults do by adding on to what the word tells us. I just haven't read that dematerialized word in the Right, in the and that's Bible. what cult of Trinity does. You see, it adds to the word. It, it, it's a council of men. I, I'm sorry, men. but I don't think you've proven... invented uh, a God and then... Look I, don't, I don't think you've proven that. In fact, when we cover God here in the next few weeks and we talk about what the word teaches about him, I think you're going to see that those councils, all they did was support what's already said in the word. Uh, it supports what they wanted the word to I'm say. Not, I don't agree with that at all. And you they can call... Well, wait, a, God. wait a minute, my delightful man with a great uh, accent. Call back when we talk about God, and you show me how these verses are in conflict with what they decided at Nicaea. Well, the Bible's, the Bible's full of, of, of a God with body parts and passions, and the Bible's full of 
three separate units. Okay, again, uh, call me back and you show me where you're gonna, how you're gonna explain this God who's full of body parts. You show me that, and we'll talk about Hebraisms, and we'll talk about how they explain God. Comma, parts, comma, and passions. Yeah, well, I know what you said. It's not, it's not like parts and pieces. It's not a, it's not a chicken ad, my friend. Okay. Well, it's very entertaining call. I hope you'll call back. I invite you to call back when we talk about God, his ontology, and how the word supports, I think, what those men had to do in the face of... Um, of what was being presented by uh, Arianism, in which God was three separate and distinct beings, which was completely heretical. Uh, heretical to you, my, my friend, but, but in Revelations it says... That, are you, by one, one question, are you... Uh, listen, go, read, go read in Revelations 3, yeah. uh, 14. It says that, that Jesus was the beginning of the creation of God. Therefore, Jesus had a beginning. He was created. Mm -hmm. He was created by God. Therefore, he's separate from God. Mm -hmm. And so, so the Word of God is Unitarian. It, it teaches... That the, that the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are, are three separate yes beings. Well, that's an interpretation that you have. When we get to that scripture, we'll talk about it. I don't agree with you at all, and the Word doesn't. But that, you know, you've, the, you've the chosen to see it your way, and we're going to show... Council what, of Nicaea. No, the Council of Nicaea has nothing Nicaea. to do with it. You agree with Nicaea, and you belong to the cult of Trinity. You've traded cults, my man. Okay, well, then I'm guilty. i got to move on. All right, thank you so much, Harley. yippee ki yay yippee <laughs> All right. That was kind of fun. Uh, let's go to Janiel, uh, South Jordan, on line three. Janiel, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. I haven't talked to you for great. It's been a long time. I uh, spoke to you right when I left the church, and I found your channel by accident, your, your, your show. Oh. I have something to say to you. I... Um, I don't know if you've discussed this. It's been a long time since I've seen your show, and I just caught your show tonight. Oh. I have a question. I don't know if you have seen, uh, uh, the, you know, or have ever heard Doug Wright. Doug He's Wright. On KSL. No. He is a Mormon, and he has a talk show on KSL. And mm -hmm. he was discussing with a missionary uh, about Mitt Romney. Prior to his conversation or his uh, speech, uh -huh. recall the speech. Yeah. Now you might have already discussed this. So I'll be embarrassed if you already have. It's okay. We we covered the speech, but what did this Mr. Wright say? He stated with this missionary, the both of them, and it was broadcast. I couldn't believe it. Discussing the intricacies or the 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 delicacy of explaining certain things about the church. I found that very interesting for a couple of reasons. Yeah. Hiding information. Yeah, really upsetting. It was discussed um, the perplexity or the um, uh, of the Mormon Church and what the doctrine is, right. and the delicacy of explaining certain things. Yeah, seriously goes with everything else. You really hide did. something. It's wrong. Yeah, you know it's really interesting because we look historically. We started looking at Joseph, especially in the Nauvoo years. Everything started becoming secret. It is. Everything. And the fear put in folks if they spoke out right. loud, if right. they did anything, if they went against anything or didn't, uh, you, you know, uh, how do I put it? If they didn't they do everything exactly right, yeah. then they were exposed as being... Uh, well, just like today, yeah. if you do anything wrong, you are going to be uh, excommunicated sure. or yeah. you are going to be, uh, you know, having to go to uh, the things I went through. Right. Oh, you, ha you, 
you can't go against anybody's idea of what the church should be or what you should be doing. That's a terrible system of bondage, Janelle. I really appreciate your call. Is this Janelle M.? It is Janelle Miller. I spoke to you a long time ago when I first left the church. Yeah, I remember. Hey, thanks so much for the call. It was a great call, Janelle. Thanks. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. You know what? I missed an opportunity just there to ask you how you're doing in your walk. Are you coming to a, going to a Christian church? Are you finding the Lord, Janelle? Apologies for that. Email us. Let's talk again and see how you're doing in that area. By the way, on the secrecy bit and all the secrecy, and it is so profound within the church, um, I, we're teaching in uh, one of our services about the Lord, and Jesus tells his apostles, hey, what I've told you here in secret, what I've told you by night as we've talked, go out and shout it from the rooftops. Share it with everybody openly. Share it in the light, he says. So this, this idea of secrecy, who is the father of lies and darkness? Who does it? And their idea is constantly to hide everything. He t told Adam and Eve, you know, the, make aprons, hide yourself. Go hide. Hide, hide, hide. And that is the father of not God. It's the father of somebody else. Let's go to Jim in Nampa, Idaho. I want to say Florida. Jim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay, uh, yeah, I've been listening to you quite a little while, while here. I don't know if you're, uh, you're hearing me or not, uh, but I got the TV turned down. Yes, I hear you, Jim. I was calling uh, on the last, uh, I heard this last guy say that the Trinity, you joined another cult. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't think Trinitarians are a cult, but uh, I, I, here's all I believe. You know, the Bible says that, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise us up, right? Right. And it also said that if you tear down this temple, Jesus said in three days he would raise it up. Yep. And so Jesus also said that God is a spirit that knows that worship him, so worship him in spirit and truth. Yes. And so I don't I don't believe when it says these three are these are three different distinct persons, I believe they're manifested as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, one person manifested because if if Jesus raised himself from the dead, he was both God and man. Yeah. And uh, well, he, he, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world didn't know who he was, but many received him. To them gave he power to be sons, the sons of God, that not born of the will of man, but the will of God. Yeah. So, uh, Jesus, when we get to heaven, I don't believe you're going to see the Holy Ghost, or you're going to see the Father, other than when you see Jesus, you're going to see him and, and uh, who he is, God. Yeah. yeah. The uh, Reverend uh, Vernon J. McGee out of L.A., just a profound Bible teacher, he said he believes, and it's not really biblical, I don't think, but he believes we're not ever going to see the Father. Well, he, yeah, he, we are because Jesus is both Father and Son. No, that, that's, that's Jesus is not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Why, why did Isaiah in, in, in the 9, 6, said that when he prophesied Jesus coming, he said, Dundras, the son is born, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The Mighty God, uh, the Everlasting, the everlasting Father. Father the, I, the, I know. If he wasn't. I know, but that is, again, it's a manifestation of a doctrine called modalistic monarchism. And, 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 and a doctrine, I, I never got that from doctrine. I was raised Trinity, and the revelation came to me when, when I had an angel speak to me and said, if I'd say Jesus was the only one that could raise a dog up from the dead before I was ever born-again Christian, yeah. that he, he would raise him up, and I spoke it, and a dog got up on his feet after my brother declared him dead, and so... 
I'm sorry. I, Jim, we got to move on. I can't get bogged down in trying to explain the Trinity. Yeah, I, I mean, know, but, but there's nothing in the Bible that says God is a Trinity, triune. Uh, I, I understand that it doesn't say God is a Trinity, but we have, we have evidences all through the Bible of three and one, and we'll talk about those things. Three persons. It says three and one, right? Three and one, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. that don't mean three persons, because why did he say that he sent Jesus in, Jim, the, in the name of Jesus? Jim, he sent it to heaven. Jim. You said Jesus lives in you, right? Jim, listen. You say Jesus lives in Jim, you? Jim, listen. If he's at the right hand of the Father, and he's not the Jim, Jesus that lives in you, it'd be the Holy Spirit living in you. Jim, 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 Jim. Jim, please just listen for one second. Okay. This is a television show that we have to keep going. It's not a show for us to determine every single nuance or, or argument. We have it's to not keep... not a matter of argument. You just said that Jesus... Jim, lived... you're missing the point, my friend. Huh? Listen, I appreciate your call, but we got to move on, okay? Okay. Okay, bye-bye. Hey. All right, we're going to Douglas and Napleton. First-time caller. Douglas, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, Douglas, you got to be quick. Okay, well, I called uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to ask you if you knew anything about the dynasty of the Holy Grail, the Mormonism sacred bloodline. Oh, uh, I think we've talked about that before. You know what? I, I don't know anything about the uh, Mormonism sacred bloodline, except that I mentioned a book that came out from a guy in Springville about it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I'd read a little bit about that. You know what? We have a... Uh, uh, go ahead, though, quickly. Okay, well, it says that the Dynasty of the Holy Grail is a production of decades of research. Oh, you're t are you talking about the book? Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about it on another show. i got to quickly move on. We'll do it another time. I appreciate it, Douglas. Well, I'll call a little later. Okay, um, thank you. Bye. more time. Okay, bye-bye. Rick, Salt Lake City, LDS, go ahead. You only have a minute. Sean? Yes, you have one minute, Rick. I'm sorry. That's all right. Hey, listen, I, I think you're wasting your time when you dialogue with these and banter with some of these guys, like the Trinity and all that. I don't know whether you're doing that to uh, to try to just uh, get ratings or to try to uh, make it more informative or interesting for the viewers, but you really can't accomplish anything when you when you keep people like that on the line. You know what? I'm just trying to be polite to them, Rick. I, they call through. They have a question or a comment, and we let them through, and we think they're going to be uh, a witty and, and, and respectful of time, and they're not. So I try, but we're not doing it for ratings. Believe me, I think it's killing ratings. So, I know. Uh, That's why you should cut them off immediately and move on and keep the show moving. Okay, I'll, I'll take your uh, advice. It's good. Thank Hey, Sean? Yeah. You, what do you believe about the Ten Commandments? I love them. Do you? I, I do. Have you broken any? I've broken all of them. Have you? Yeah, well, Jesus said, you know, if it's in your heart, you've done it. I've broken all of them. So how can you never felt any remorse for the one of the big ones that you broke that uh, kind of separated you from the LDS Church? I, I feel remorse for all my sins, Rick. Well, how do you feel? I mean, you deceived your family, your children, your wife. I do that, yes, and still probably do. Rick, we have 10 seconds. Call back and, and tell me about my sins. Bye-bye. All right, listen, Pastor in the Pub is tonight. Uh, Denny's Fifth South. Love to see you there. Until then, we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my 
Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage